is it going to be a big deal for the podcast? Is it going to be a big deal for the podcast if I say penis? You could say penis. It's a word that. Um... I'll have to beep it, but. <laughs> nah. My dad's going to be mad if he catches me playing this adult beepus game. <laughs> That's not a quote from any of these movies. <laughs> nope, that is a quote from a Monster Factory episode. <laughs> Hey folks, we're not dead. Welcome back to Odd's Place. Uh, coming at you with the long-awaited uh, episode on queerness and uh, Woo. queerness. Yeah. Um, we did a uh, shout out because we're pro queerness. Yep. Yep. No. Uh, <laughs> I think. Yeah. Uh, definitely not going anti on that. Uh, those are not the people we want listening to this. Uh, <laughs> um yeah so doing an episode on on uh queerness so uh all it's it's just the original boys again uh it's me you know me i'm josh and i got caleb and wes with me hey what's up team i'm caleb and wes (laughs) oh man (laughs) and that makes Uh, me Damn it! I had a good story too. <laughs> I had a good story I wanted to tell you guys on the air. I'll, I'll tell hey. you. Give me, give me the central themes. Okay. <laughs> well, part of it was the story I was telling you in the kitchen, <laughs> but only Josh heard the early part, so you guys will just have to piece it together. Uh, Damn it! I want to hear. Tell us your story, Caleb. Oh, so I, now that I reclaimed my identity, <laughs> you have a voice again. Hey everybody, it's Caleb, and I spilled avocado on my pants this morning. Oh, I like this story so far. <laughs> what a delightful mishap. <laughs> and then the best part is, I just kept those pants on and went to work. <laughs> you did it while you were at home. <laughs> yeah. You just leaned right into it. <laughs> I was, you know, cutting up my daily avocado in the morning. <laughs> And sure enough, the pit just flew right out, and I thought I'd just throw my thigh in the way to catch it <laughs> on the way down. So you're trying to do that like uh, uh, that like old Aztec sport they played, where they have to like <laughs> hip check the ball into the hoop, and if they win, the losing team gets decapitated. Road to El Dorado reference. I'm with yeah. you. Uh, also, historical thing that sure, actually happened. Sure, it was. Sounds kind of like Quidditch. <laughs> <laughs> no. <laughs> That's intense. Let's let's get back to business. Um yeah, we should uh we should do that. Uh so our our randomly selected topic was queerness. Uh yeah, um and so we picked a couple movies and they're I think we kind of explained the drama around the movie selections earlier, but we have arrived, we have landed on selections and I think they were both really good. Uh we're covering Moonlight and I love you Philip Morris. Do we want to do the rankings? Oh yeah, we need to do the rankings. So, uh, in case you didn't listen to the last episode because it wasn't like a real episode, uh, we've uh, we've got to go with the standings um, going into this new odds place. Uh, currently, uh, Caleb has two wins to my single win. That's right. Um, but the fact remains, based on highly rigorous and scientific Twitter polls <laughs> run by myself on the show account. I am the unanimous people's champion so far. Uh, 
So take that how you will. Um, both of those are true. Uh, yeah, sounds a little desperate, Josh, but... <laughs> Uh, I'm still, I'm still two one. Last reject. Uh, I mean, those those are the official rankings uh, on the rules. You know, the uh, the binding um, contract we all signed uh, when we right. started this podcast. Um, That's right. Yeah. So. Um, yeah. So well. Yeah. Your pick was was Moonlight. Or, yeah, and I. Yeah. In case people didn't listen to the last episode, we had a little bit of difficulty with streaming access for josh's original pick yeah show me love which is a good movie if you can find it but yeah as far as like oh i want to listen to this podcast and i want to be able to watch this thing right away like it's really only available in quality like on disc and that's even kind of hard to find these days uh but still highly recommended lucas mudison's show me love go get that so decided not to do that uh And instead went with uh, I Love You, Philip Morris, uh, which is these guys uh, talking me down from going with The Matrix and getting real abstract with the theme, which we all sort of came to the understanding that maybe this wasn't the best topic to get super abstract with, uh, seeing as it's uh, there are at least, well, you know, this podcast is hosted by mostly straight cis males, so... <laughs> Uh, <laughs> and Havsey. <laughs> uh, so and we wanted to, yeah, we wanted to take it seriously because um, these are people's identities that we're talking about as well. In a way yeah. that some of the other themes are a little, a lot more abstract. Not just a little bit more abstract. Right. Yeah. I mean, Love can mean anything. Utilize nonsense can mean anything. Queerness right. is yes. something that people identify with and experience in a daily way that these other themes that we we've talked about aren't yeah. doing yeah. that. That said, look at the Matrix. Give do yourself a favor. Give the Matrix a, a rewatch from the perspective from a from a queer and trans perspective, with that eye. Yeah. But yeah, I think the, the deciding like, factor was that feeling of we want movies that maybe somebody saw when they were realizing their own identity and uh, would was really looking forward to getting to experience that kind of shared feeling on a podcast yeah. or in media someday. Yeah. Um, I don't, yeah. And it's just like, I'm not necessarily the one to sort of advocate that reading, uh, even though I think it is a very interesting reading of the matrix, but maybe I, other people who are not a straight white man have, have written about that extensively. So, you know, Google it. There's some good articles out there. Um, all right, so our picks were Moonlight and I Love You, Philip Morris. So I, I've got I Love You, Philip Morris, because uh, it serves as a really interesting co- counterpoint and I think hits a tone that I wanted to hit by being weird with it uh, compared to Moonlight. Um, and I think these are really good movies to watch together. And I think there's going to be a lot of a lot of good conversation. Uh this evening yeah man i think so yeah uh i don't do good and i don't do conversation uh, this is awkward okay thank you babysitter number three from mrs doubtfire um, that uh, was a deep pull. What, what, <laughs> what a specific pull. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's easy to forget about josh's encyclopedic yeah. knowledge of the script of mrs Walk doubtfire over here. <laughs> are, I know there are at least like three people out there that are gonna fucking love. That. <laughs> hey, 
I'm I not love even. This is Doubtfire as much as the next person. Yeah, and I will not do a disservice by further explaining that joke. Um, okay, so we got we got the picks. Uh, Caleb, why did you uh, why did you pick Moonlight? Oh my God! Or I picked Moonlight because it was one of the first that came to mind mm-hmm. because it's so good. Just point blank, such a good film. Um, full stop. Um, but also, I was thinking about films that were relatively mainstream because I didn't want to go the route of a film that not a lot of people had seen Um, partially just because again we wanted to take this topic seriously and um, partially just because Moonlight had such an impact in terms of uh, not only really good but it, it had a really big impact in terms of viewership but also in terms of awards um, I pulled up the Wikipedia page and because I want to get this right it became the first film with an all black cast the first LGBTQ film and the second lowest grossing film domestically to win Oscar for best picture which is just phenomenal in its own right not just because it's an all black cast not just because it's LGBTQ film like it's both of those things and essentially the powers that be in the film industry still were willing to recognize this film as it, it could what, be it, stopped. what it is yeah, yeah. like it's uh, that good and like it, i, I do want to yeah derail you uh, uh i do remember watching that oscar ceremony at wes's old apartment well two apartments two ago, apartments ago. Uh, sitting on his couch and watching as that dumb bastard warren Beatty <laughs> said la la land looked yeah. confused for a second and then gave it to moonlight <laughs> uh, and the the cast of la la land was like they were disappointed they didn't win, but they were like a little bit relieved because they it didn't make any sense what was happening. <laughs> like, oh no, okay, it's all, it's all right. Mean, it's it was like, a mistake. You know, it's like it's self corrected. I mean, I'm like, uh, I I mean, I sat through all of this year's Oscars and it had like all these like just great diverse people winning awards for all the technical categories, and then screenwriter goes to the screenwriter of Green Book, and Green Book fucking wins, and it's just like a giant shit stain on that whole show. Um, yep. Yeah. So they at least got this one right, and so for an episode of queerness, that just made a lot of sense to me to pick a film that not only was seen by a lot of people but was awarded by the the highest given the highest award in film that could be given which is historically often still given to films made by white people centering white people the green book is a perfect example we talked about it on last episode about how fucked up that is so like the fact that it won but also um just the fact that yeah i don't know it's so good i'm excited to talk about it um we could have gone a lot of ways with this i thought about some films that were seen less um i think the film was called pariah that was on netflix for a little while um was a black teenager lesbian girl kind of coming of age story it's like really moving and really kind of like one of those like snapshot in a life good indie film style but i'm like you know not a lot of people have seen it so yeah let's talk about something that more people have probably seen or had a chance to see um yeah and what, what was the other one we were talking about? Like, that one was a good one. Yeah, I mean, uh, yeah, parody. Um, <laughs> well, yeah, you almost did Brokeback Mountain. That's you were right. Saying, yeah. Uh, off, off mic. That's that's right. <laughs> off, off mic. Off so, mic. Hey. Yeah, and that was. Hey, I'm off mic. <laughs> oh my god. Get out of here, off mic. <laughs> no. We don't want you. You can't keep my voice down. <laughs> Cut it out. 
<laughs> That's a really half cocked character, but I... it's mostly based on prison Mike from the office. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> and kind of like date Mike a little bit. It's a little bit date Mike. <laughs> yeah, I'm date Mike. Nice to meet me. <laughs> I'm here to talk about films. I'm oh, off God. Mike. <laughs> no, no, get out of here. <laughs> How do you spell your name, Mike? A H H. Get out of here. A- oh my God. <laughs> um, um, but yeah, like Brokeback Mountain, but. Yeah, I almost picked it. And. Um, I think it would have been a really great, solid choice as well. But a couple of things, you know, one, it centers white people. It's these two white men, mm-hmm. which have white men have dominated the story of, or like the narrative of gay rights and the narrative of like queerness in this country right. for a long time. Oh, it's like in a, a lot of problematic ways. Right. Especially, uh, oh, I can't, I, it might've been Roland Emmer. Like some big producer did that Stonewall movie a couple years ago. Yeah. And then, you know, the first person to throw a brick was, uh, black trans woman yeah and they like redo it to have a white gay man huck the first brick at the cops yeah um, of course yeah of course yeah. nobody remembers that i no one saw that movie i've, uh, I've never heard of any no of yeah I, well, I, that's, I, I, that's the point yeah. right i mean yeah. but that's like how you know yeah yeah and so that was part of it you know like if it's a, uh, a choice between moonlight and brokeback um, Moonlight makes more sense for that reason, and especially yeah. since we're going to talk about I Love You, Philip Morris, which is which yeah, is two white men, uh, like which absolutely plays every '90s and early 2000s um, gay movie trope, but somehow subverts it a little bit. We'll talk about um, it. Yeah, but so I didn't pick Brokeback for that reason, and then the other reason was that it ends in tragedy, and that's something else we're going to talk about. But like a lot of queer films sadly end in really tragic or depressing kinds of ways um and for good reason like it you those things should be shown on film those things should be represented because um too often that is a story it was a message from the times of please please give us medicine give us acknowledgement we're we're dying our loved ones are dying broke back mountain well i don't know okay you guys have to see the movie (laughs) yeah this I know. Not about AIDS. I think the. I think I he was killed. Didn't you say he was people. killed? Yeah, that's that's another. We're, we're, or like we're dying. A, okay. Yeah. Sorry, I was interrupting. Or even that. like a boys don't cry with Hillary Swank. I mean, that just ends in straight up murder, or but it, it begins with a murder. But. Yeah, it's exciting to be getting to a level where you can you can make a movie with it like this, and it's not irresponsible, not to tag it with also please help we're dying. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, which I think in other ways Moonlight is doing that, but not not it doesn't end in this like depressing like tragic yeah um sort of trope yeah. or, or just like common story and so that was another big reason that i think both of us were inspired to try to try to avoid that kind of ending if possible yeah. and i think moonlight was another good reason to do to uh pick it another good reason another good hell, movie. hell yeah dog i yeah. mean it's so yeah Josh, yeah you, moonlight yeah um you picked um I yeah. Love you, Philip Morris. Yeah, I picked I Love You Philip Morris. Uh I felt like it um it struck a tone I wanted to to go for cuz it's a very weird and like idiosyncratic film even though it's like uh I yeah, it's still like it it still very much feels like a Jim Carrey like Farrelly Brothers comedy from the 90s, but mm. it's uh actually plays like uh like there's a gay romance at the center of it and they play that straight and they don't use it for easy jokes uh 
for the most part there are a few scenes that are blah 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 um also i picked it because yeah, any, uh, any of the easy jokes are at the very least they're they're on queerness's side which is cool yeah it's like it's, yeah a it's queer... a movie that's funny to queer people yeah yeah that's good uh i mean also i think it, it represents this like weird um fracture in like mainstream movie making where i think the whole cinematic landscape would have looked very different if that movie like was widely distributed and like was heralded as like the cl- like the jim carrey classic it should be like hmm. um because like at the time it came out there was a lot of hand wringing about you know you had this movie with jim carrey and ewan mcgregor both huge at the time both still you know titans mm-hmm. uh of film and uh uh yeah there's a lot of hand wringing about you know showing explicit gay sex in a in what otherwise is a very conventional comedy Mm -hmm. um at that point um so there was that and then apparently there was like a massive like legal rights battle as to who was going to distribute it in the u.s um so when it finally so i think it it was completed in like 2008 uh released or premiered in 2009 but didn't get any sort of release in america until 2010 Hmm. um Wow. And then even then, I think it was like limited runs and mostly in like your L.A.'s, your New York's, your Chicago's, uh, mm-hmm. you all know, I LA's? mean, all of them. Wow. Every single L.A. Hmm. Uh, so, uh, yeah. And then, like, I mean, I remember uh, like sort of eagerly anticipating that movie coming out. I was still in college at the time. Um uh in grand rapids michigan and then it's like it there was all this hype for it and then it got delayed and then it just never came out and then i didn't see it till like a couple years like 2011 or 12 like when it was on netflix for a brief second before mm-hmm. i mean now it's like you can rent it wherever but uh i don't know it took me a while to get around to it and it was just like not available for a long time and not a lot of people saw it um but watching it again i really want to imagine the world where you could see it in every like suburban multiplex in america um you know and it was massively successful and it did open and it i think it would have opened up a lot of stuff like we would have gotten moonlight like years sooner (laughs) uh maybe it it would have opened up because it had such a natural grasp on how to turn serious concepts and established concepts on their head we we would have seen uh, a sort of combination queerness subversion trope like mm-hmm. emerging in movies it would have yeah. yeah yeah um so i think it's like well and and moonlight's a very great film but like i love you philip morris does play with those tropes that mm-hmm. uh like where moonlight sort of like weaves around him i think like you know, moonlight's ultimately a much more conventional oh no it's pretty experimental like the whole chapters and thing but are we getting into this <laughs> maybe i don't uh yeah i guess that's maybe not for me to say but i mean at, at the time like uh i love you philip morris yeah was subverting a lot of the tropes in your sort of standard prestige uh queer film of the time yeah so that's a good i, reason to I picked it, it yeah. and it was i don't know it's more uh light-hearted and like uh well, Moonlight isn't a tragedy. It is still. It's heavy. Uh, it's a heavy movie, oh, yeah. and I, I wanted something like light, <laughs> light-ish. I mean, uh, 
uh, and good because those were like it was like those were the films that sort of like opened me up to these ideas were the ones that sort of like I don't know weren't tragedies like I could sort of grasp onto like Mm -hmm. you know just focusing on like um, a romance or something it was like that was a feeling I could relate to as a uh, fairly retrograde idiot back in the day and Mm -hmm. still wanting to like uh explore some new ideas but still being like uh not the wokest at the time so mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. um and i love you philip morris was actually pretty a pretty foundational film in that mm-hmm. personal journey so mm-hmm. because that's what matters a straight man learning to accept queer people this is the narrative we want to center here no no uh, uh, um straight men out there it, it it actually it is important though that you learn to embrace yeah. masculinity and if you're having similar thoughts to this like oh yeah i wasn't the wokest always am i embrace steer into this steer into the skid learn to, <laughs> and just keep growing that was yeah, that's good that was um definitely wes with his hands over his mouth no that was uh <laughs> that, was, that was my good buddy on mic <laughs> On, god damn it, it i have to keep like off mic in here now over the intercom but... <laughs> <laughs> um all right let's uh let's get into this thing um similarities and differences Ooh, yeah let's do it uh can i open yeah absolutely let's I... center our well i guess have we established that you're the less straight the, one of I, us. I think do I'm, you want to be open about that i have space? to imagine it's come up before yeah uh, it pretty if you get me in front of a microphone i just start i just start talking about it <laughs> no i'm uh, i'm uh this is wesley james all of our voices sound pretty much the same so just identifying <laughs> 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 oh my god i'm gonna refrain from like making mocking your voice because i do it every episode <laughs> good god <laughs> Sorry. No, I'm I'm uh, I'm the the queer member of the Odd Splice. Um, I it, it's been something I've been sort of aware of working with kind of retroactively uh, my own my own um, experience with with queerness and and self identification with the the term since I was about nineteen. It's it's an interesting journey because you have to kind of work your way backwards once you realize what's going on. Uh, as a as a person who loves espousing the benefits of uh, seeing seeing all aspects of everything on the spectrum and non-binaryism, I actually think that these movies represent kind of a, a perfect delineated binary in the sense that if I had to describe each of them in one word, those words are opposites. I think that Moonlight is a movie about repression and that I Love You, Philip Morris is a movie about freedom. Hmm. Uh, I think that that's. Uh, I, I don't. I don't think that we intended on this this sort of perfect contrast going in, but I think it's a really really cool result. And no. I, I, I hadn't seen I Love You, Philip Morris yeah. before, and you hadn't seen neither of you had seen Moonlight before. Right? Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. I was yeah. really late on the Moonlight so this train. This was a really choo choo motherfucker. Um, but I, they, they're each, especially in in informing the the queer experience. If you're, you know, a, a fellow lost boy out there um, enjoy both of these movies for what they are because they're they uh, they they just speak a, a whole lot of truth to the to the experience um, you know it is that perfect binary and I think if you were getting at anything it was, well outside of everything which is great <laughs> uh, um, like uh, you know those are 
these are both things that are sort of endemic to queer experience that yep. can sort of like uh yep. you know ideally go one way but do often go the bad way um but repression right mm -hmm. repression repression is bad folks so let's <laughs> don't do it let's get into the movies a little bit okay so josh defend i love you philip morris and try to make similarities or differences to moonlight okay well i, I guess it's it's yeah easier to uh easier to sort of explicate um the the differences because uh, they are very different movies um yeah. I love you, Philip Morris is a a comedy and a rather anarchic comedy at that, and uh, but still anchored by what is like a conventional love story for the most part. Um, uh, it's stirring yeah. how how uh, conventional the love story is. It's I think and one interesting part is how like how masculine and feminine roles the two men take on in the movie. Yeah, and it's uh, yeah, that's definitely there. I mean, yeah, Ewan McGregor is the titular uh, Philip Morris, and is mm -hmm. you know very much the like, sort of you know effeminate Southern uh, queer boy, um, and mm -hmm. like uh, Jim Carrey is the, you know, more masculine like, <laughs> presenting. He's I think he's the the top in the relationship, definitely, um, and. Philip Morris, he, he lists all his jobs as he's mostly just kind of an arm candy for a, a lot of uh, more successful people. And, yeah. Uh, mm. Jim, uh, Jim Carrey has always had nothing and just scr yep. scrimped and, and made his own yeah. way. Uh, but yeah, so like going off of like, you know, where I love you, Philip Morris is like about freedom is like there is the repression story, but it's in about the first 10 minutes of the yep. movie. Um, mm. Yeah. And it, and it carries very little consequence into the rest. Right, of the right. You know, it's um. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. He's like, all of the trouble uh, Stephen Russell, Jim Carrey's character, goes through is not because he's gay. <laughs> like he's like you know he starts out he's married he has a child he's a police officer in the beginning finds out he was adopted finds his real mother, mm -hmm. um, and then gets in a like. Uh, and then he's leading this double life right like he, when he finds out finds out who his mother is and is rejected again by his birth mother mm -hmm. he stops being a cop and goes and works at, for cisco food service oh, yeah. <laughs> in texas um and then leads this double life like trying to provide this like idyllic suburban existence for his wife and kid but he's also fucking dudes on the side mm -hmm. um which I don't, it's a great like uh night it just it it all it all goes and it doesn't mention anything and then you just see jim carrey fucking a dude uh and he's like, and he's like did i not mention i'm gay 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 gay, gay. <laughs> um right and it's just like and he's got that just uh like a classic 90s jim carrey enactment of that like i mean it's just like the physical comedy is just on full display there it's uh great and mm -hmm. um yeah uh and then in the midst of that gets hit by a car and then decides no i'm gonna be who i am uh mm -hmm. i'm gonna be i'm gonna be a gay man and then it just transitions into his gay lifestyle like he's mm -hmm. still 
in contact with his wife and child or ex-wife and child and there seems to be a caring relationship there but now he has a boyfriend and then the troubles start what he like uh, gets too into the material trappings of what he considers to be the gay lifestyle because not only is he i really like the way he phrased that well uh, yeah that's awesome <laughs> um because like he it, it's this overall freedom he's he's like it's this full-on like i'm gonna live to the fullest i'm gonna do whatever i want so yeah he's gonna be openly gay but he's also like i'm not he's not gonna deny himself material luxuries and then he can't hold down a job to actually pay for that shit and that's how he becomes a con man um, to like Mm -hmm. pay for all this stuff uh so it's under that and then it's just all these uh it's funny looking back on it uh, when I first saw it and then rewatching it again, I realized most of my discomfort with the movie, like I, I thoroughly enjoyed it the first time I saw it, but there was this like tinge of discomfort. It was mostly at the fact that he was a criminal. <laughs> like by, by the time, if you can make it halfway through that movie, like uh, the, uh, the gayness of the characters is just so normalized. Like you barely even mm-hmm. notice it anymore. Con- and it's it aberrant right right because it's not it's not the focus and i think that's kind of a very interesting way to i mean it just Mm -hmm. like by making it just sort of incidental to the actual storyline which is stephen russell's like just his inability to like stay like on the straight and narrow his inability to like um deny himself anything is like what gets him in trouble and it is not the fact that he's gay and it is like i i remember finding like a lot of niggling things to to nitpick when i saw it maybe eight years ago and it's it's an interesting um uh, rewatch well it's an interesting yeah. uh realization of of phobias of of uh homophobia or, or whatever it applies in whatever situation uh to realize that you're you're criticizing something you know i i I thought the gayness was fine, but I didn't like that the main character is a criminal. In a, yeah, and you, I do. Yeah, well, you, I'll, you I'll circle back to it. Uh, sort of backing into you know you, you just didn't like this movie because you're not comfortable right. with gay people, and that's that's something that happened to all of us eight years ago. Yeah, a, a bunch of us still today, and a bunch of us two years ago, yeah. etc. But uh, rewatching it, so like liking all of it, just because it is, it's another con man movie. It's a catch me if you can. It's a mm-hmm. uh, it's a the informant. <laughs> yeah and i thought about ways. that movie so many times yeah um and then it was like oh man he does crimes that's so bad or whatever and now i'm like oh my god his crimes are rad as shit He's so cool i wish he got away with more of them because he was basically he ex- was real he was exclusively like ripping off massive like health insurance corporations and shit and like probably some light Id- you know, like fraud it's just it's all victimless shit and he was bilking like evil people of money and oh my god um he rules i mean it was just like you got this like really awesome like gay anti-hero like who got to do cool stuff um and who got the hot guy yeah (laughs) i mean and then it does end on him getting a life sentence but yeah i mean so there is that like mild tragedy not my no it is a huge tragedy but it is we should come back to that yeah i read a piece that the real guy wrote Oh, the Huffington Post a few years ago about yeah. solitary confinement. Yeah, when so you, uh, we can come back to that part. Yeah. When, when you look at the whole movie, just in some, 
gonna get hoisted by my own petard here. Right? <laughs> anyway. Petards call in their host. They're hoisting. Yeah. Um, the 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 summary of the movie is this is the real story of a con man who broke out of prison four times to be with his lover, mm-hmm. which is just yeah. You, that's such an absurd description of anything. <laughs> yeah. Oh, it is man. Absurd. Which I got some similarities. Like the, uh, there's that, eg- so they both have a lot to do with identity. Um, but hold on. Can we, I want to respond. Okay. Yeah. And then, and then, then, we'll, we'll, then jump we'll do in. that. Yeah. So will you remember that? Yeah. Stories? I'll remember that. Yeah. I want to jump in because I want to put my cards out there that I don't want to bring you all down too much, but I didn't like the film. And, uh, so we'll get into it with the differences too, but uh, yeah, I don't want to rain in your parade too much, but I just wasn't a fan, partly because I wasn't expecting it to be mostly just a story about a con man. So that part threw me off. Okay. Yeah. So then by the end, I was like, okay, that's a, that's a, like, it's a really fascinating con man story and reading the article that the real life person wrote about like his life and being in prison now is like really eye opening and seems like a fascinating person. Um, but it's interesting to frame it as freedom and the way you're talking about, like, maybe it's my struggle with Kahneman, but I'm like, it's hard for me to believe that he was truly in love. Like, the love story didn't sell me, partly because he lied about everything else. Um, yeah. So, so that part was hard for me in the moment. And then, um, yeah, we can start with that one. That was my first I mean, point. that's kind of perfect. Uh, what I wanted to get in with the, the similarities was uh, these very existential questions about identity and whatnot like Mm. i did because i didn't appreciate or one thing i really appreciated on this uh, most recent viewing of i love you philip morris is that sort of like um uh like sort of that you know that third act where you know philip morris calls him out like our relationships based on lies i never really knew you because it is the series of cons and like that tension between wanting to believe that stephen russell was acting out of love and then realizing that he was just presenting a facade that, Mm -hmm. you know, maybe he doesn't really exist in any meaningful way. Mm -hmm. Um, Right. And then like, uh, and I think, uh, what's the main character's name in Moonlight? Uh, Sharon. Sharon. Uh, I mean, I feel like he has a similar, (laughs) like, journey. I mean, couch and repression but i mean there is a very existential element to the i mean especially between um like his teenage self and the fight and then the implied incarceration and then his identity as an adult um what's the tension or what's the explain that a little bit more i mean i it's it's kind of an overall uh feels like a sort of inverses of the same arc what i i think i see what you mean the um the character Chiron is intentionally unestablished, uh, which this is tricky water because I think that probably some levels of that movie were autobiographical, and yeah, uh, by both both right. Um, Barry Jenkins helped craft it into a screenplay, but there's also a writer, um, and they're yeah, and I'm they're very open about that. It's yeah, it, it, it's clear that it's. Um, uh, powerfully like based in self experience, but the the actual the film experience is one that invites you to take when there's when there's a character who won't speak as the protagonist, 
and mm-hmm. all the other and it's so apparent that all the other characters start commenting on it you start to fill in the role of the protagonist you, you become them uh, and they're part of the genius of that movie is their ability to suck you into this this world and make you Chiron mm-hmm. uh, and because it, there's so much more science to it than just a character who won't speak but that's sort of the the base layer uh, and and that's in a strange way it's very similar to what I love you Philip Morris is doing which is making a protagonist that everybody can associate with because they they don't necessarily exist yet a, a person who doesn't know who they are who's searching for identity is the is one of the most identifiable human positions the Jim Carrey character yeah yeah mm-hmm. I see uh, your yeah your, your lack of identity is something that universally defines us the yeah uh, and and so being a, a lost person searching for that identity and the you know Jim Carrey is really aggressively searching for it he's <laughs> dipping his hand in every inkwell as deeply as he can and Chiron has kind of an idea of who he, actually has a pretty good idea of who he wants to be and it's and the whole world is geared up against him not being that mm-hmm. and they're they're really they're almost like the edges of the same coin rather than two sides yeah it's all a dream in a locked room man <laughs> So let's... A dream you had about being a person. So... What's that from? True Detective. Oh, yeah. I thought so. <laughs> that you are trying to steal from me, or that we are actually gay. It's a bad, it's a bad Inception joke. Oh. Cut that. Oh. Cut it. Cut it. Cut, cut the part where I do the accent. Cut it. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry to derail you there. I was just sitting. I, I no, that was say good. That... that was good. Um, oh, a dream you had in a locked room. <laughs> Great callback. <laughs> um, yeah, so I do see the two sides of the coin. I see the, the existential crises in both of them manifesting in very different ways. And so that is a dif- difference I think we'll come back to that, um, or we can get yeah. into now. But I think the, the, another reason it was hard for me to watch the film and enjoy it was because of the glaring privilege and power and opportunities that were yep. afforded to both Ewan McGregor's yep. character and Jim Carrey's character yeah, and Philip yeah, Morris yeah. and like and so you know I, I don't see a world where this is the obvious but I don't see a world where Jim Carrey's character gets away with any of that nonsense if he's black um, oh no and I don't see there's no world where or I don't I don't I don't have a great understanding of this, but it's hard for me to see their life in prison as a as a lovely in love couple and that going well if they're black. Like the, the, the scene that sticks with me is when they're cuddling with their heads on each other's shoulders watching the T V or like watching the romance in like the break room or mm-hmm. where everybody's watching the show and they're just cuddling up and I'm like, that is like a portrayal of like white male gayness or just like white gayness, like I'm like the fact that they get to like enjoy this yeah. in like safety and well being, and then in yeah, a way that the scene isn't it where they're dancing where the the black guy is getting beat up right as he's like yeah. and they're just like I mean I think yeah that's definitely part of it um I don't as a knowing what you've studied Caleb I yeah like uh I do want your take on like the overall portrayal of prison and I love you Philip Morris because I 
I kind of appreciate what they're trying to do, but it does skew like a little too close to like, haha, prison rape. Oh, one hundred percent. Yeah, yeah, real bad. Um, it's yeah, that was and that was another part yeah. that I think was hard on that on that level of. Also, if we're if we're gonna leave the last couple sentences in, we should do a trigger warning. Yeah, I I think that also was hard to watch. Uh, and that was that was a I thought I took that as a result of like their comedic tone more yeah. than more than like uh, an intentional or unintentional whiteness in the film but it seemed like the comedic tone was was almost not serious enough yeah it's uh it's heavily tone deaf it's a in part it's a product of its time and in part it's a yeah. product of the fact that it's a true story and the like when when you're doing a true story you can think of it when you're making a true yeah. story piece of art or piece of media you can think of it as like this is what they got away with but mm-hmm. when you're looking at it yeah. as a piece of art which is all that we have we we yeah. went there for the true part of it yeah. we we have to be like god this is this is this is what so many people could not have gotten away with mm-hmm. and and glorifying it does suck in a ton yeah. of ways it's it's yeah i think that awesome. was hard for me yeah. yeah i mean i uh i don't know watching it again i mean to push back a little like i think overall it's like that's the part of it that is not aged well at all mm-hmm. um but i mean i think it does go along with like not um man how do i phrase this uh like well i i admit it's sort of tone deaf i don't think it's quite as cavalier as you think like i think there is something to like yeah all of it is I, I think they, they kind of are shooting for a tone where, oh, this is all awful, but we're sort of, it's not quite making light of it. It is going for that black comic tone, but mm-hmm. considering how serious all that shit really is, it's very hard to, um, but one scene I think like does like subvert it and sort of like sh- the movie shows its cards is uh, when Steven, um, you know, pays the guy to beat up the screecher in the uh-huh. yard yeah. And then you have that, you know, Philip Morris is like, um, Stephen, did you pay someone to beat up the screecher? And then it's like, that's the most, most romantic, romantic thing I've ever heard. It's like, okay, these are two vain assholes that don't yeah. really care. I So yeah. I think, because, and it's, then it goes on to show, like, once, like, they're all, like, Stephen's the, escaped, he gets Philip out, and they just live this, like, very lavish lifestyle. I mean, it is... It doesn't quite the, reach the level of critique, but I mean, I think it is a somewhat unvarnished look at a certain type of gay man. It's it it, it it's uh, maybe it, I shouldn't have said that. No, no, no. no. It, uh, it, it just, no you're. I think because there right is it, right a privileged it, white. It takes gay a, yeah, yeah yeah. It it takes an unapologetic look at a at a role that should be apologized for. Because if if there was a movie where uh, a, a black con man and his his gorgeous black lover black male lover uh cheated the prison system i feel like i would watch it every week but it would yeah it, we can't make that movie yet because it just it, it wouldn't be realistic enough and it's this, not it won't ever be realistic the, this movie it, it yeah it, it does it takes advantage I mean, of a lot um, of uh what's what we're capable of believing and stretching to believe and but it, so but this is all to say i think the movie does speak to the fact that they are the reason they have a relatively comfortable existence in that prison is at other people's expense 
Yeah. Like it, and I think that's to the movie's favor. I I agree, like, and yeah. I agree with that. But that I I do want to overall agree that mm-hmm. it's yeah a little too cavalier with that subject matter uh, for the overall tone that the movie has. But I think it's trying, and that kind of deserves a little credit. Yeah. So we could. I yeah. So let's talk about the differences in terms of. I think setting up the binary as I love you Philip Morris as an expression of freedom compared to Moonlight as an expression and a story about repression is accurate in a over in a general sweeping generalization. Mm-hmm. And I think what we were talking about with the whiteness of I love you Philip Morris is also I think the same kind of story that the the ways that uh, Philip Morris and Jim Carrey's character are allowed to express their queerness express love for um same gender people and like have the freedom to do that and the freedom to be healthy and happy and well um is like a perfect contrast to what's going on in moonlight where uh chiron lives an incredibly hard life and is incredibly repressed in his self-identity and sexuality um not just because he's black, not just because he's poor, not just because his mom is is neglectful and addicted to drugs and um, abusive to him, at least verbally, we see in the film. I, it seems to depict verbal abuse more than more than physical, but like uh, emotional trauma that he's like he's up against so much, um, but he's up against all that at the same time too, and so it's hard enough for a young uh, middle-class white boy to come to terms with being queer or gay. Um, it's hard enough to be uh, like a white working-class, white poor boy who is um, whose, whose parent is neglectful to like identify with their sexuality. Like Chiron is also in this community that um, I don't want to overgeneralize uh, black masculinity or or how queerness is accepted just, in the black just, community. Just speak to what the movie portrays. But I can speak to what the movie portrays, and it is consistent with what I have experienced in my life um, with black friends and working in working in black communities. That like it's incredibly hard for a black boy to express sensibilities of tenderness or softness. In, in specific social settings, particularly with other boys and also with other girls their age. Like, there is a lot of pressure on young boys in our culture and especially young black boys to be tough and to be strong and to be what we think of as manly and masculine. Um, and I've seen that in, in my life um, consistently. And this movie, I think, portrays that in really powerful ways. Like, one of my... I before you guys got here tonight I watched a couple of the scenes with Kevin I love the scene when he runs into him as a boy and they wrestle after after separating from the group that the first sex scene yeah Yeah. (laughs) oh my god like the eight-year-old like wrestling who thought it could like somehow be sensual and the way he grabs his face first to like look at the blood on his cheek oh my god yeah that was shot so beautifully. It's just like knees and like elbows, and then they're just like laying on the ground it's breathing real. afterwards. It's so real that yeah, that first shot is so yeah, unbelievably I mean, relatable. 
Like, I mean, yeah, even yeah, it, who hasn't I, been I, there? I, I remember right, no, yeah, I mean, it, it's like, it, like, yeah, it just brings you back to how fucking ambiguous it all was. Yeah. At that moment, I think for everybody, as you're developing your sexuality, like, those feelings are tied up in those moments for everybody. And there's so much um, physical intimacy t- between boys that, yeah. like, we just pretend that isn't there or something. But, like, boys are always doing that shit. Yeah. But, like... It was, like, also evident in the film that, like, there's something else attractive, attraction going on between them. But it's also, like, that's just physical intimacy and that's just, like, friendship and romance and, like, all those things are going on there. Yeah. There is a... Um, and Kevin says, it's like, he gets up and he's like, see, I knew you, uh, like, I knew you weren't soft. Like, yeah. I love that he, like, he still has to frame it's... it as, like, I'm just making sure you're tough, you're tough and you're proving yourself. But there's this underlying thing there too. Yeah. There, there's a really interesting. Uh, there, there are, two, dream sequences, uh, where they, there, there's the first one where Chiron is young and he oh, yeah. encounters, uh, Kevin, mm-hmm. uh, uh, having sex with the the girl he described himself having sex with. Yeah. And that's that turns out to be a masturbation fantasy, and then mm-hmm. later on. Uh, he has a sort of an idealized like Kevin has grown up uh, fantasy mm-hmm. and that's the the wet dream scene and in between is the the actual beach scene and the way that it's shot and written I was I was certain until it was like 10 minutes past over like uh, like 10 minutes after the movie had progressed past the uh, a beach scene. Mm-hmm. I was certain that it was a, a fantasy. We were we were between two fantasy scenes, and the. I actually think this is one of the most majestic parts of the movie is that, this thing that happened so coincidentally, and and so and written in such a style that it was like, too good to be true, mm-hmm. uh, actually was, and that's. I don't know. In my experience, that's that's actually how life goes. Is that you. You, you end up on a on a beach somewhere and the the person that you're most hoping will show up uh, actually does sometimes it's a it's a rare chance but the um I I was really impressed by how much I was sold on the idea that you know this is this is this again is just a fantasy and then it, mm-hmm. it came real mm-hmm. and didn't make any of the rest of it real the uh, the the world was still bleak yeah Uh, so we can we can keep that thread going yeah because he still like he was still in high school and he was still struggling with the same home life and the same school life and like he wasn't able to escape those things but also he had this moment with kevin and they were able to like freely express it to each other but even that it's like you know you don't want to get too heavy in the symbolism but it's like it's at night on the beach like like they aren't like they have to find this secluded safe space to be able to even do this. And it's, and it's like a, a chance of luck that they come across each other on the beach that night. Like there's so many obstacles in Chiron's way to living his life in a way that it allows him to express his sexual identity and allows him to be fully who he wants to be and believes himself to be. But even that it's like, like you're getting at with like the existential crisis it's like hard for him to come to terms with who he is or admit who yeah. he is. 
I wanted to bring this up too. I love the scene early in the film with Mahershala Ali, and they're at the. I mean, there's so many of those scenes, yeah. but when at the kitchen table, and he says, he asks if he's the F word. He's like, "Am I a faggot?" And Mahershala Ali and um, Janelle Monae look at each other, and uh, I think he says, "I actually got this in my notes here." I think I'm. I might know the line if you're just looking for the He's, exact line. He says. You ain't got to know right now. Yeah. Not yet. It's like such a beautiful... It's, it's going to yeah. live with me forever. <laughs> yeah. <sighs> like, Juan being able to... Juan Mahershali, yeah. his character, like, being able to, like, give him that space. Blue. Yeah. Wait, he went by blue? Wait, what? It, yeah, his... Blue? His, uh... Uh... Nickname that he shared was he was blue. Was it? Yeah, yeah. There was a whole scene on the beach where he explained that. Oh, oh, yeah, yeah. Because Nobody called him that. Though. Like, yeah. he said like, uh, right? Yeah, his, uh, his name was Juan. What he was. The, that's the, uh, that final scene. The 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 payoff of Moonlight. Mm-hmm. The, the the boyfriend who gets the moon mm-hmm. blue skin. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but you ain't got to know right now. Not yet. Like. And uh, yeah, he. No one's ever explained it. I was I was waiting for like something almost right to come across, and it was just exactly right. A faggot is a, a mean thing that you say to a, to make a gay person feel bad. No, it wasn't even a mean. A, a faggot is a word that you say to make a gay person feel bad. Mm-hmm. It, it was it was just so astute. Yeah. And. Yeah. So I, I think about the contrast to I Love You, Philip Morris, in that way, for sure, that there is a, a systemic difference in terms of opportunities to express yourself and opportunities to live freely. And there's also, and both of those films give us a really good depiction of what that looks like internalized in one person or two people. Like, um,. Chiron living this repressed life sexually uh, is not just because because of his sexuality but it's also these other identities and experiences that he got wrapped up in and like was born into um, and, and yeah to, to make light of everything for a little bit and hopefully pump life into the discussion the uh not, not that there hasn't been. I'm just, <laughs> just, just to justify me talking. Whatever, even more. man. Just to justify yeah, me man. talking even more. Uh, Chiron at his in in the final chapter is like the most attractive man who's ever lived, and <laughs> and Jim Carrey in the final chapter of I Love You, Philip Morris is like the the most four out of ten man has ever lived. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Oh yeah. Oh man. I'm gonna look up who plays that last guy. Jim, Jim Carrey. Yeah. Jim Carrey was never really no, a looker. <laughs> Trevante Rhodes, man. Oh that's right. He was in the Predator, covered in the bonus episode with Scout Tafoya on Alien Three and The Predator. Basically unrelated to almost anything, um, one of the things that tickled me a lot in I Love You, Philip Morris, um, 
there was a scene where it was just philip morris like in the kitchen like unwrapping dove chocolates and it would say some like inane little oh, yeah. thing and then he'd just like oh and then he'd like go put it up on the fridge then he'd eat another one find a go out that he finds one that's like like a kiss is like a flower blooming on your mouth and he's like oh he's so <laughs> yeah and then it just like goes into yeah steven comes in at a tux like he has to go to like a work thing but i just it was a absurdist little non sequitur and a great little like uh ewan mcgregor character moment um that i really loved he was such a sweet character in that film that that could be a, a similarity though i think that there's also repression in i love you philip morris oh yeah especially yeah. the way there's that really telling moment when they then he, he lies to his boss and says he's engaged right um, after philip morris says like basically asks like when will you take me out or like when will we like go do things or like when will you tell them that we're together or something like that yeah and he says like oh it wouldn't make a difference and then goes out and says he's engaged to a woman hit me hit me with the favorite moonlight scene child it's it's the ending it is the diner scene hands down the diner scene is so beautiful and moving when i was watching it in preparation for this podcast i'd already seen it once before but i'm watching it and we get to the part where he turns on the music he finally they finally they've caught up a little bit he tells him that he's trapping basically you know selling like and like kevin's mad at him and they come back together and he's like why did you call me and, and then finally he's like man this guy came in and he just put on this song and and so he gets up and plays it they look they're looking at each other it's just this beautiful uh moment of like these guys who haven't seen each other in years yeah. barely saw barely saw each other in moments of their childhood but still had this connection still knew each other in a way that nobody else allowed was allowed to know them especially Chiron he didn't let anybody else touch him know him like Kevin did and nobody else seemed to like get Chiron the way that Kevin did um and he even said that in the diner he's like uh uh because he's getting mad at at Chiron for uh being like a gangster basically and he's like man you don't know me and Kevin's like uh shoots right back he's like I don't know you and like they both look at each other like boy like I know you more than like anybody like so all that playing the music I'm watching it I'm having goosebumps not even realizing that I'm also like crying <laughs> like, <laughs> like I have goosebumps and I'm like oh shit like I gotta wipe my eyes right oh that scene got me so good and then they go back to Kevin's place mm-hmm. just that whole ending just mm-hmm I don't it couldn't have ended better he tells Kevin that he hasn't been with any other man like hasn't been with anybody actually yeah powerful stuff and then he's like in and then his head's on his shoulder at the end it's like moving I don't know it's hard to beat that Barry Jenkins does it again yeah should we uh get to the the closing the closing portion let's do it yeah um Wes as as designated pointsman. Yeah. Oh, yeah. sure. Yeah. <laughs> Fulfill your your main role now. Um, do we want to do the normal questions or do you have 
like something extra special off the top of your head. Uh, what makes the movie for which you've advocated, uh, what makes it important to you? Damn. Um, I think I've, I've got it. Um, so I, I think we've, we've covered a lot of, I love you, Philip Morris's imperfections and maybe hinted at why it's kind of an important film for me. Um, but I, it really was like sort of, uh, one of those last little, I don't know, like hits that kind of got me to like, let go of a lot of old prejudices and sort of uh embrace other people and, and that's all like i can't put it all on the movie's shoulders because it's a, it's a combination of things of of knowing people of um yeah wrestling with your own uh identities like i you know my struggle was never with my sexual identity but i've certainly had to negotiate between identities change them like um moral values um political identification and i mean like that's i i'm not trying to equate that experience necessarily but it's uh similar in process if not an actual material impact on my life um mm -hmm. so uh yeah i mean i love you philip morris just hit me at the exact right time and was just able to shift me a little bit closer to being a if not good person uh, a person who's striving to be good um you know i think when i saw it i was still somewhat in the love the sinner hate the sin uh type mentality and that was like a, a nice little like domino that was like there's no sin here <laughs> you know this isn't like a big deal um just because it was like this weird trojan horse of basically being a 90s fairly brothers comedy with mm -hmm. a gay relationship in the center as imperfect as that mishmash is again it was like it, it, came, it, it came at a certain time and like <laughs> allowed me to think through some things and um i can only hope that that movie like made somebody who you know was coming to terms with their sexuality or is coming to terms with their sexuality like it is able to have the same effect in some way and the shell that's me i am struggling to answer this well because it's it's a hard question other than to say it's just a damn good movie that tells an important story i i don't know much more what to say about what it means to me like you know i don't want to personalize it too much and because it, it it isn't my first-hand experience. It mm -hmm. isn't... Um, I, I don't have the same experiences that Chiron had or that Kevin had, but uh, it's a beautiful story of, of boyhood and childhood, I think. It's a beautiful story of masculinity and sexuality and wrestling with those things. Um, and, like, a beautiful story of, like, finding your family and like I think so I, yeah I don't know similar to Josh like this movie does what any good piece of art does and especially the kind of art that I want to pursue is like it forces me to think about the world a little a little bit differently and forces me to open my world a little bit more um, 
and I'm grateful to Barry Jenkins and the his co-writer, whose name I don't know off the top of my head, for like turning this into a beautiful film that like, you know, has me crying in bed while I'm watching it. <laughs> in bed. So, I'm yeah. gonna talk for a while. Right, because uh, yep, you are you are the arbiter of this uh, glorious competition, in which uh, only one of us will win. Only one, eternally. Only one, eternally, supreme. Uh, Until I start the Twitter poll on the podcast account <laughs> and inevitably win that because I run all the shit. So there you go. <laughs> Uh, my first time ever coming out was to a, uh, at, at the time I identified as bisexual and I was coming out to a, uh, fellow bisexual, uh, who had come out to me first, which I always appreciated, uh, recently in a, in a storm of angry text message, uh, she accused me of just being gay, which was disappointing because there's there can be a lot more to it than that. Um, uh, my first time coming out to a person I was interested in was met with, uh, to a person I was interested in pursuing a queer relationship with was met with, well, I, I don't believe with in, uh, male bisexuality. Uh, my, uh, my first time coming out to Josh, uh, I, think must have been like a joke i can't remember it at all i think that we probably glossed over it in some I uh ma- manifold or layered way and i mean it definitely wasn't the first time we hung out but c- certainly it was it was absorbed with uh extraordinary grace uh hear that folks i'm good <laughs> sorry <laughs> my, <laughs> cut it cut it all, cut the whole my first com- my first time coming out with to Caleb, uh, I have to imagine was in Chicago. I think that it was one while I was dating a man and yeah. was like trying to tell a story about it. And I was like, Oh, by the way, I'm queer and just sort of moving past it. And obviously first time we'd seen each other in Chicago. Was, was it all right then? It was the same. same. It was the same meal. And obviously that like, it comes from a place of, of desired confidence and certain insecurity that this person is going to accept me I know that I don't have to worry about it so I'm just going to say it really fast because it doesn't have to be a big deal mm-hmm. um, these things are uh, every, everything I'm saying of anything that I'm talking about is uh, desperately privileged it's it's so unrelatably big passing whitely privileged that it it can't be a benchmark or anything that gets hooked onto but uh it is important still to get all the stories out there mm-hmm. all that to say uh there's there's definitely not going to be a uh winner of the of the queer episode uh, both both films have won um, we're not going to. Wow, this is bullshit. <laughs> this is bullshit. We're we're not going to uh, 
Oh my god. We're going we're not going to let capitalistic um uh, obsession. Wow. Just obsession real, you're still wow. in the lead, but I get a loss. point. Wait, so now it's three to two? Yeah. It's, it's three to two now. Uh, <laughs> what in is four this? episodes. What is this T ball? I love you, Philip Morris has won the uh Oh my god. I love you, Philip Morris has won the uh queer relationships. Uh, on crack award <laughs> and moonlight has won the um, I'm gonna call it the gift of your heart award because whoever made the movie uh, just gave completely of themselves uh, I, I I do believe that moonlight is the better film but I'm not going to wow I'm not going to award uh, wow uh, victories or prizes in a in a contest where you're gonna regret this <laughs> in a contest where the the stakes are just it's a podcast really, really high it's a fucking <laughs> podcast just give me the damn point why are you so concerned with that point Caleb? <laughs> because Ooh. i want to win <laughs> I want world domination. <laughs> I think the thing that I like most about being on the odd splice, use this later, it doesn't have to be on this episode, but I think the thing that I like most on the odd splice is that we're not concerned about the victory or the winning. We're all about the, you know, the journey. And sometimes things happen where it's almost like, what? why would, why would we set up a precedent and then subvert it? Yeah. But that's a great question. <laughs> we should really talk about but that we all, question. We all accept that that's what we're doing, and I think that that we did it. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'm I'm all in favor for this reform. I think uh, this is some good. Um, yeah, losers top down do change. Uh, ah, and you call yourself a leftist, sir? <laughs> it's uh, yeah. you're win. speaking to the people's champion. Of nine people. It's important that. <laughs> yeah, it was only nine people, wasn't it? It's important that we know that anytime that we're getting queer people in a space together to talk about um, things that we built together, things that we profited off of, uh, that that we're all, you know, hands in. That we're that we're collaborative and uh, so you can't uh, just say Moonlight's the better movie. What the hell? <laughs> this is not the same thing. It's a fucking podcast with arbitrary points. Just give me the points. I just, I just and think then that, say your piece. I just think that uh, there's no such thing as arbitrary points. Oh, this is some bullshit. Bullshit or this is such so... a thing even as All right, life. so uh, all this Dumbledore <laughs> shit right here. That's what this is. Um, uh, uh, okay, so now that we have uh, both of us have gotten points, um, it's wow. decided by the pointsmen. <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, uh, both both of the movies won. Um, thank you. Yeah. So so that's uh, that's the queerness episode, everybody. Uh, I guess we'll we'll move on to some of the business, namely um, picking our next main episode's theme. Drum roll, please. I do have a randomized list. I am I am randomly generating the number. They are numbered one through twenty nine. I'm gonna give it one more one more plug while we generate. If you're out there and you're uh, uh, 
queerness is something that you're having a hard time coming to terms with or it defines you uh you are consider yourself recruited into this uh massive impossible resistance and if you feel like you don't have anything to contribute to your own life or your own self or your own status remember that we are in desperate need of your presence and you have to hang out a little bit longer until you can uh join up and remember we don't you're not loved despite of who you are but because of who you are i actually really like that line it's a really good line and um and if another plug real quick if you are somebody struggling with your sexuality um especially queer identities and uh like i also identify as christian also hit us up because there's yeah. like uh, some really We're not. great organizations doing some really important work about uh, like inclusive spaces We're, where, yeah. We're not qualified to help yeah. with this stuff, but we we know we know some know folks people who are and that's what I'm trying to say. Yeah, we know also, some folks. We uh, we I love mean. you. We, God damn it, we love you so much. Yep. Well, now it's hard to get back into the stupid shit this podcast normally Please does. Say something stupid. <laughs> no, it is. Um, it's sixty-nine. <laughs> the sex number. <laughs> uh, no, in fact, the number was twenty-six, and on this randomized list, number twenty-six is Good Denzel. Oh, fuck yeah! Uh, I feel Hell like yeah. this is a heavily Caleb uh, <laughs> oh, <I'm so> <laughs> weighted. Uh, Good Denzel, because we also had bad Denzel. I know. We? Well, it was Grim Denzel, and grim. I'm I'm kind of afraid that my picks for Good and Grim Denzel the are the same movie. Yeah. And in Josh, fact, they are the same movie. Josh, you uh, you you had a uh, from the jaws of defeat here. You'd best dig deep on this <laughs> next one. <laughs> yeah. Graciously uh, <laughs> got a point. I mean, we already know what your pick's gonna be, so I think. I mean, despite myself. Are you going to do the good Denzel movie? I think despite myself. <laughs> I, you know, part of me wants to do John Q, but Ooh. deep down... Don't say it. I know what I should do, though. Yeah. I'm going to wake up in the morning, and I'm going to wash my face, look in the mirror, and say, Caleb... Build that tension. <laughs> what? Build that tension. <laughs> That's right, listeners. I'm just going to give you a little tease. I'm not, I'm not going to tell you. I'm going to go... No, I'm not going to say it. No, I think no. Build that Listeners uh, could find a clue uh, in a previous episode, which will remain unnamed. Hi, my name is Off Mike. <laughs> I'm here to talk to you about Denzel Washington. Denzel Washington is the name of an actor who, according to Wikipedia, has been in films. <laughs> my name is Off Mike. I'm I and I, I I've got a whole presentation for you, if you could just stick around for a little bit. Hi, I'm off mic. Thanks everybody. Okay. This has been Odd Splice. We'll catch you next time.
right. So Hi, I'm off, I'm off mic. What did I? I was I was taking a poop earlier. What did I miss? You missed all the conversations about movies off mic. What are you? I've seen I've seen so I've seen at least twenty five movies. I'm off mic. I'm here to be in the room. And I, I. What are movies like off mic? Uh, let me tell you a little bit about movies. First of all, you you got your movies where somebody is killed. Does seem a little bit intense for me. I try to steer clear. <laughs> Second of all, you got your movies where somebody is in love. Those are a little bit, uh, a little bit, uh, uh, it's a little intense when somebody's in love because you know I've never been. So I try to steer. Then it, third of all, so there's three categories of movies: the ones where you've been killed, this is the ones where somebody's been in love, and then the third category is movies that are based on real-life animations of previously animated movies. And I really think that that's where I thrive. They're coming out with a Pokemon... I'm off mic. They're coming out with a Pokemon movie. And I really think it's got... It's got uh, Ryan Ryan as Pikachu. And he's going to be like, Hey, what's up, everybody? I'm Pikachu. And I'm going to be like, Oh, shit, yeah. 